Welcome to this final VSTML 2019 recap from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the guy who loves to meet other men behind bushes, especially when he suspects them, Logan Saunders. Morning. And after nine episodes, 26 challenges, and four different mole selections from Logan, turns out we were both completely wrong. And in an additional fun twist, I was at the reunion live! Yes, you were. You Half of the population of the Netherlands saw you holding up a phone to a camera. They did indeed, and I have the videos on my phone to prove it from the other angle. And it's kind of weird for for us in this situation, because normally when we do this sort of a podcast where someone's been to the reunion, it's you, and I end up interrogating you for potentially two hours. This time, it's all me. Yeah, so did you get to talk to any of the contestants? Did I help? <laughs> so I've been sort of vaguely referring to this on social media for the past few days, but where you could see me, I was fourth row at that point. By the time that I got there at 5.15, and bearing in mind it didn't start till half eight, people had been there since half twelve, when I actually got there, I was row two, and I was very near the front, as you could kind of see. But there was two rows of VIPs who just randomly turned up at dead on half eight meaning that I ended up being row four, which was just too far to be able to throw my mole book to anyone, because I do have a 2018 mole book. I did have a mole green pen with me to try and get signatures, and I was just a little bit too far to get either a selfie or a signature off Sinan Chan, because Sinan did look at me, and I just, I was that close. Had I been row three or row two, I would have been able to get a signature off Sinan on maybe a photo with him as well, but I was just a bit too far. It was very frustrating. Row two is always never... There's always just a bit off. Yeah, I ended up being four rows back by the time you could actually see me. Next time you gotta claw your way, you gotta pretend to be the VIP. Well, no, I just need a way for someone to give me VIP tickets for next year, because I really want to go back next year and finish what I started. So, did you get to talk to any of the other fans around you? Sort of. I mean, I think they were talking to me, but did I understand it? No. <laughs> I had more of a language barrier with the people around me than I did actually watching the show, because I kind of got, I'd say about 90-95% of like the hidden clues and everything. I kind of got that from the context. I had no idea what people were saying to me. Which led to some really, really fun things, like someone trying to push in and getting elbowed in the ribs at about half six-ish. At which point I was chatting with Marika, who does the subtitles. I was chatting with her on Twitter, and actually had to send her a message saying, Seriously, someone's just tried pushing in in front of me. Hell no, this is not happening. I've been here hours. And towards the end when everyone was kind of doing signings and stuff, a Dutch woman kind of tapped me on the shoulder. She was very, quite violently tapping me on my shoulder to try and push her daughter forward. And I'm like, no, I was here first. <laughs> I just imagine you like push, punching somebody's daughter in the face. No, I, d- I didn't punch her in the face, but I mean, I'm I'm not a... A small chap, as you might have been able to see from the fact that you could see me in the reveals, and I didn't even realise it until I rewatched it. But I'm reasonably broad as well, so I was just, I had my elbows out at one point, just like, fuck off, you're not getting past me. <laughs> Throw them bows. <laughs> but on the language barrier question, there was a great moment, probably about, about half seven, about an hour before the programme started, because they were doing all the warm up stuff and sound checks and everything had been hours ago so we were all getting a little bit bored and the warm-up guy came out led some dutch sing-alongs mainly neil's songs i had no idea but they also did a, a vidum quiz 
I like how it's like Niels is super famous. And then on this podcast, it's like, I think they were his songs. I guess they were. They were 100% Niels' songs, but did I understand a word of them? No. But the main bit of it was that he led everyone in a Vidum quiz. So he, he wanted volunteers. My hand obviously shot up because I'm me and the chance to stand on stage and him go, where are you from? And me go, I have no idea what you just said because I'm English. That would have just been wonderful. Sadly, I didn't get picked for it. Two people out the audience did, though. And... They were the worst people I have ever seen at a quiz, ever, in the history of quizzes. It was so wonderfully awkward. How wonderfully awkward? So there was ten questions, I think it was, and it was first to put the hand up and answer correctly, got the point. The final score was 2-1. That was only with the entire audience helping both of them. (laughs) How many would would you have gotten? The better question is, how many did I get? The answer is five. With the language barrier. Despite the language barrier, I scored higher. (laughs) (laughs) And that is how I know that Rick himself is on the thousand euro mole money note, because the prize was an entire stack of mole money. It was one of each of the notes. So the yellow one, which is the thousand with Rick. Arse is 500. PCN 250. Carol 100. Angela 50. And the girl who won just got one of each of those mole money, and I should have stolen it. You really should have. You would have made a great impression from our podcast. We would have picked up a great reputation. Well, the the first question was, who won the 2010 season of Vidim? The 2010 season, of course, being Japan, my favourite season, and the one that I forced you for three years to watch. You should have shouted Fritz. I did. Fritz Sissing is the mole. I ended up doing a Carol impression shouting, Fritz Sissing is the mole! And then (laughs) someone eventually put their hand up. It was so annoyingly awkward. And I, having watched so many of these finales now, I've always thought, ooh, there's a lot of old moles in the audience. There were so many old moles this time. There was at least five old moles that I saw just walking the green carpet, and then people like Ruben snuck in... um, in the back door, evidently, he didn't want to do the green carpet, and there was a couple of other people who I noticed had potentially sne- uh, snuck in. However, this was a wonderful opportunity for me to photobomb people's selfies. And did you take full advantage? Oh, yes. So if you notice, when where I was stood, there was a guy with a sign saying, Niels is to mole. He also had on the back that Niels was the winner, or Niels was the loser. He was hedging his bets, but he was drawing it while he was waiting like six hours to actually be there. But next to him was the barrier where the green carpet eventually was and where Sarah, Niels and Meryl walked down. And when the old moles were doing it, they were kind of working the crowd and doing selfies with people. So the woman who was stood next to him kept getting these selfies. Sadly she's got private Instagram because I did check. And I was just making funny faces in the background of every single one of her old mole or old contestant selfies. It was so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> it just kept me really amused. You gotta pass the time somehow before the reveal. Oh god, it was so boring. <laughs> That's the one thing I will say. If you're ever going to actually go to the Vondel Park finale, take a chair with you, please. Just no entertainment? No. So there was no entertainment until about half six, apart from teasing Rick whenever he was doing sound checks, but I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, so I, I landed in Amsterdam. My flight was slightly late, so I landed in Amsterdam just before two o'clock, I think it was. Got the shuttle to the hotel, that was absolutely fine, there was no issues with that, even though I was a bit worried. So I thought, ooh, I need food anyway, I'll wander, wander down towards Vondel Park, have a quick check out, see if I can 
do some Instagram lives for the uh, the RTV Warriors account, which I did do. And I turned the corner to go to Vandal CS because I was planning on sort of having a close-up shot and going, my name is Michael Armstrong, this might be a little bit weird for you lot because, you know, you don't really know what I look like. And I've been a mole fan for 18 years and then just turned the camera and show, like, the big billboard saying Demol with the logo on outside the Vandal Park. And as I turned the corner to be able to do that, I saw the barricades with people already there. And I went, oh my god, I'm 40 minutes walk from my hotel, what am I going to do? Because I had, I didn't have my camera on me. I obviously wanted to take loads of pictures, so I didn't I didn't have my camera on me at that point. I was fretting. Legged it back to the hotel. This was, what time was it? It was about quarter to four that that happened. So I absolutely sprinted back to the hotel, and luckily I was I ended up being second row. And I was very lucky to get that. However, I did end up behind the most annoying people I've ever stood behind in anything. Because the guy directly in front of me had a camera bag himself, but he had it over his shoulder, constantly hitting me for seven hours. Did you say stop hitting me with your camera bag? I did, and he didn't understand me. The one person in all of the Netherlands who doesn't speak English. It was so irritating. (laughs) (laughs) But people had brought, like, camping chairs and... Someone got pizza delivered? They So they've been there before? Yeah. People had been there definitely before. They know it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I definitely learned some lessons at the Vondelpark um, event. I definitely would do it again, but I would be a little bit better prepared next time. To know that you're going to be staying there for hours with pretty much nothing to do. Bring like a 3DS. Well, I was tempted to bring my Switch anyway, and I, at the last second I decided not to, and I really wish I had. Because I would have just been stood there playing Hyrule Warriors, probably. <laughs> yeah, the other finale events I've been to. Yeah, you're not you're not going there three hours before it even starts. No, I, I was there three and a quarter hours before it started. Some people were queuing up there eight hours before it started. Eight hours. The girl who ended up winning said that she'd been there since uh, half twelve. Yikes. And, of course, I was kind of saving notes on my phone of prompts to remind me for this podcast. So, anyway, the actual finale, I guess. We end up finding out, after about 15 minutes of filler, that the puzzle pieces in the intro, as we suspected, reveal the mole's face. But it's Meryl and not Niels. Or Sarah. Or Sarah. Yeah, well, it was never going to be Sarah. No one ever thought it was going to be Sarah in terms of the puzzle. The rumour was that it came together as Niels' face, but it didn't. And she is the mole, much to the elation of Michelle Pierce Denovan. Yeah, she picked her right from the first set of flavoring. And to give Michelle credit, she did not at all whatsoever in my uh, in my chat with her. Yeah, she didn't gloat with me either. I was fully expecting quite a lot of smugness from her, but she was she was a graceful winner. More graceful than either of us would ever be. Oh yeah. And Jamie looks a little bit pissed at the revelation. Yeah, he didn't... I mean... It's kind of funny with the mole because it's like the one way where you could say it's indirectly rigged is it depends who you align with. Like I, like you can go back all the way to the first season of the of uh, the mole USA where the final three were all in alliance with each other from day one. So you could say, oh, the two people who were in alliance with the mole had that much more access to the information and keeping an eye on potential sabotages and stuff and be able to identify the mole a lot easier than all the other contestants. Here, the guy was in alliance with the mole and just didn't pick up on any signs whatsoever. The one thing about turning up at quarter past five is that as I came round the corner for the second time to go to Vondel Park, 
those three were actually there, and they were kind. They weren't working the crowd exactly, but they were getting kind of the instructions from the production team. So as I came round, I actually ended up taking a couple of pictures of the final three not in their finale garb, and I will say at that point, I knew it wasn't Niels. Because he was far too nice in real life to actually have got away with a lot of this stuff. The Neils that you saw at the finale, had I known what he was like in week one, I would never have picked him whatsoever. Because he was just very happy to be there. Just super chipper guy, naturally. Yeah, he was just a... He looked like it was a genuine privilege to actually be there and be a part of this wonderfully crazy experience. And it was rather irritating, because as soon as I got to that point, I thought, oh... Balls, it's Sarah, Logan's going to be so smug. And then when I saw the final three actually walk down the carpet, I thought, Meryl is invoking some old moles with that fashion. Because she looked, she looked very similar to how Marguerite dressed when she got revealed as mole. And Marguerite got a couple of mentions this time as being the previous holder of the mole with the lowest pot and that sort of stuff. So I was... I wouldn't say I was convinced it was Meryl at that point, but I was suspicious purely when I saw how she was dressed. I thought, she really is kind of invoking her predecessors. Right. Yeah. Another hidden clue. A hidden clue at Vondel Park. And Rick says that Sarah was first suspicious of Meryl on test 8, and Niels only picked her on the final test. And by a score of 34 to 37 correct, Sarah wins. And it's at that point that I am visible between Rick and the finalists. You know what's good for the for the show in general, though, is that somebody didn't sweep in and, like, poach the victory at the very end. That would have sucked for Sarah if, like, she was on to Meryl earlier and then still lose. It would have been hilarious, though. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it happen before, actually. The American version, I think it's happened, what, twice? Didn't Dennis Rodman do it? Rodman did it, and Mark did it, too. Because Mark had no idea Craig was the mole until the very end. Because he would have been, because was it Mark, Rodman, and Eric Von Detten actually would have all been executed at the final four if not for their exemptions. And in Rick's intro where he runs through all the eliminated contestants, and normally I do one like this but I couldn't be bothered this time, there was an interesting bit that I'm wondering whether you picked up on it. Because this as he was listing everything, everyone kind of got a cheer apart from one person. Did you notice this? No. Who didn't get the cheer? Sinan. What Sinan got was an oh, And you can hear that quite loudly, because I am the main culprit of that. <laughs> if you watch it again, listen out for Sinan getting the groan, because that is entirely my doing. <laughs> I can only take credit for it, because the entire audience did it in the soundcheck with Rick as well. Rick came out probably about about half six-ish to do his kind of run-through and see what the script was and stuff. And at that point, I wasn't sure whether he was actually going to bother wearing a suit or not, because he was dressed very similar to how he was dressed at most of the uh, executions. But when he was running through that bit, everyone got a cheer. And then as soon as he said, and last week we lost Sinan, or words to that effect, I shouted, oh, and then everyone joined in. <laughs> but this then carried over to the live broadcast. And it was so funny. <laughs> so all of them were like cheering and applause, and then the scene and one was just, oh, yeah. Everyone was really sad to lose him. 
<laughs> oh, did you tweet that to CNN? Um, I didn't, but I did have a like off CNN on uh, on Saturday when I said that I'd flown in from the UK for the finale. There's another super awkward bit coming up as well that I don't think anyone will have spotted, but it involves me again. So when Sarah's victory is announced, uh, Vision of Love is played again because we found out last week it was her guilty pleasure. However, it was not played to Vondelpark. I didn't even know that that was a thing until until I actually rewatched the episode. And then we have the section where Ron actually bothers to ask the audience, because Ron did come into the audience and I was convinced that he was going to do what Chris did in the past few years and string it out and get people there with a bottle of champagne to as to who they think the mole is. Sadly, they didn't do that this year. I would have 100% raised my hand for Niels. However, Ron did go back into the audience after the results were announced to speak to one person who suspected each. Which, of course, were decided beforehand, and he deliberately picked small children this time. However, the little bastard who said it was Sarah was the one who lost the mole quiz, because he obviously has never seen the programme before. Oh. And then... In addition, there is a wonderfully awkward bit when Ron asks the entire audience who they suspected. He starts off by saying, Did you suspect Meryl? And if you look very carefully and you know how I am dressed, you see me raise my hand and go, Actually, no, I didn't suspect Meryl, and then just slowly put my hand down. (laughs) So that's something to watch out for, because I did make about five different cameos in this episode. And most of them were unintentionally funny for one reason or another. You know, why do, why did they pick Ron to interview everybody? Like, he's like the least recognized Vidim contestant maybe ever? I know, I have no idea why they picked Ron, because I didn't even know about it. They announced it about half three. I didn't know until I actually got there and then Ron started working the crowd. And I, I think I tweeted um, Nick and Dan from, um, from Brothers Bar just saying, And Ron's here? What? Who invited him? (laughs) Who did he bribe? (laughs) Yeah, because he's such an odd choice. Because usually it's Chris Sagers. He wasn't available this year, evidently, because he's filming something else, by the look of things. But, yeah, I've no idea why they picked Ron. I guess he must have known somebody who knew somebody. I think he does a bit of hosting for the channel, but it was still a bit of an odd choice. Yeah, because, I mean, whoa, there's a gecko in my room. Um, <laughs> oh look, flying fish Yeah, cool flying fish But like even Jean-Luc Would have been a better choice I mean he wouldn't have slept it all the day before the finale But still Or alternatively, get Molche back Molche, yes I would have been yeah. so starstruck if we could have had Molche there And I 100% would have like Leaped over barriers to get a selfie with her <laughs> Should have uh, driven one of those cranes over And just bulldozed through the audience Oh god, the, those cameras on cranes were very low. I know that they know exactly what they're doing after 19 years of this, but I'm not a small dude, and they were very close to my head. Oh really, they were really invasive cameras? Yeah, because they were two like big crane cameras that were doing the main bit of like the audience filming. You think because it's the Netherlands that they'd want the cameras higher to match everyone's uh, freakishly tall height? Yeah, I was thinking that, but evidently not. Was there a Colombian contingency at the at the finale? I don't know, but if there was, I think Nicky would have spotted them. I just wanted <laughs> Colombian Frankie Grande to appear. Have him host the reunion. And um, Meryl says that she's happy to pick Marguerite off her throne as the lowest pot ever as a mole. 
And this bit is wonderful for one reason and one reason only, and that is Rick. Because, without spoiling anything, Rick won that season. Until this season came along, Rick was the holder of the lowest mole pot ever. So he knows what he knows that pain. Yeah, Rick Rick was the winner of the season where Marguerite was the mole. And that's why the camera kept just cutting back to Rick whenever the talk of lowest pot ever happened. Hence why he had to pick up another job hosting. <laughs> and then we get onto her sabotages, so the main one. And I'm going to get really bitter on these because there was a few... Most of these sabotages were ones where we actually said in the podcast those weeks that something hinky was going on. So we start with the laser labyrinth, and Meryl went in early, as I suspected, stole money from all the piles, she stole more than 1,500 euros from this challenge from everyone else's piles, and they all had the same amount in their piles. So poor Rick Paul was left with just 50 euros to collect. Which we picked up on. Yeah, which is the first of many that we picked up on, but she stole it to use later, which is interesting. And then we get onto the Jenga challenge, where we had the entire scene of her holding up the middle block saying Demol to everyone, and just nobody picked up on it. Just taunting them, because she was right, though. Everyone was laser-focused on the game. As opposed to laser-focused on what they should be looking for, which is the mole. <laughs> and in the House of Balcony game, she outright lied to trick everyone but ensured no more books could be used so that nobody could actually, you know, fact-check her. And Rick Paul's balcony had a sign saying Meryl shouldn't be on that floor. He spotted her anyway and chose to dance to the music. (laughs) And here's the most egregious one for me. The Tuk Tuk Challenge. She took money from her, her own envelopes and exchanged it for laser money. And I had such a problem with this challenge, because I had no idea how they were possibly meant to get to 1,900 euros when it only added up to 1,250. And I can still remember those numbers, because I was pissed off for weeks about it. And that's why. 800 euros went walkies because of that challenge. That's a vicious sabotage. And it raises a question about whether they actually tell everyone how much the challenges could potentially be worth. Because if you write down how much each person had, you knew for certain that someone sabotaged. I guess if the, even if it was known or briefed beforehand that they just didn't pay enough attention. And she also removed the orange tags from five bundles at her banana station. And conveniently, that was the five that were missing. And she ignored the one remaining 500 euro tube hidden in one of the bundles. And Sinan didn't do his job and fact check her. What? Sinan wasn't helpful during a challenge? Man, blindside. First time for everything. First, yes. Sinan popped his uh, sabotage cherry. It was one of many hashtag Sinan sabotages. (laughs) Sinatage. And I can use that phrase because I am the only person who's used that phrase on Twitter, as people who were watching the screens at Vondelpark found out. So... Probably about half an hour before the actual start of the reunion, they had, on the two massive screens that had the mole logos on them, they changed it to show people's tweets with the hashtag Vidum Finale. I obviously took advantage of this, and started off by saying that I'm in the Netherlands from the UK purely for the Vidum Finale, can't wait for it, that sort of thing. The same sort of thing that I was tweeting to every single person involved in production to try and get a VIP access. That one sadly didn't get on the screen. The one that did, though was me saying, I'm predicting a final hashtag scene and sabotage tonight. Hashtag Vidim, hashtag Vidim finale, hashtag RCV Warriors. 
which did get on the screens. <laughs> That's awesome. I have a picture of it. <laughs> so I got a little bit Vondel Park famous just from hashtag scene and sabotage. <laughs> and Meryl's final kind of sabotage was that she misled Sarah with the money burning, as we expected someone did. And her tactic was to burn one half of each of the pair numbers so that there were more unique amounts. And that is an evil way to lose that challenge. Well, they weren't doing it in pairs, remember? We wanted this, we we were saying, oh, if you do it in pairs, you can keep each other accountable. But no, they all split off, so very easy sabotage for Meryl. And with Meryl's tendency to hide money in her bra, was it dangerous for her to be around Sarah naked all the time? Yeah, because there'd be no cover. Like, if if she uh, disrobes at the wrong time, just a bunch of euros with Mulho's face would uh, drop out of her clothes. It's like, oh, why? What is what is Rick doing in your pants? Think you're barking up the wrong tree there, Logan. <laughs> why is Angela on your back? Given that I'm ninety nine percent sure that Rick is the first openly gay uh, mole host in the world. Well, maybe seeing Marilyn Sarah walk around naked uh, made them switch teams. So, final scene on sabotage. <laughs> I'm going to make the LGBT community miserable by making them straight. By turning Rick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay women to start walking around naked around the mold house, around prominent members in the LGBT community. So now the hidden clues, which didn't actually get aired, which is understandable given how rubbish they are. So the puzzle pieces in the intro replaced an assignment each time, and those assignment names spelt out M-O-L-I-S-I-V, or mole is four, Meryl was fourth in the intro, four being the number of the mole. We also had a clue saying the balcony of Meryl ends in 13, M is the 13th letter of the alphabet. M. M for mole. And the other main clue that I picked up on from the rubbish translation was that the last words of the titles of the songs played in the Dance Party Challenge spelt out M-O-L-M, or Mole M. Mural. And also her song wasn't played, which I did spot last week and didn't mention annoyingly. Oh. Because the Mole doesn't have any pleasure, not publicly at least. <laughs> Only privately. <laughs> Only for those really stressful days after a sabotage where they have to wind down. That'd be really disturbing for Sarah. And I have to agree with Nick from Bothers Bar when he said that Rick was much better in studio than on location. And he definitely was. He was way better at the reunion than he had been on on camera. But he's back for year 20, right? I'm assuming so, yeah. We haven't heard that he's not. And by this point last year, we had heard that Art was leaving. Um, One more thing on the scene and grown thing as well. Rick actually rolled his eyes at me because I was groaning at CNAB. I've got a brilliant picture of Rick on my Facebook just sort of rolling his eyes at me because I kept making everyone groan whenever he said CNAB's name in the intro. Because <laughs> bless him, he was trying to get through it about three or four times. And every time he said, and CNAB went out last week, we all went, oh! At one point he just gave me proper side eye. It was so funny. <laughs> Continuing my trend of pissing off all my hosts. <laughs> so now my favourite bit of the entire season: what worked, what didn't. 
What what didn't work was this group as a unit trying to raise money for the pot. Yeah, I, I can't remember who it was who said it, but I think this group is a great collection of individuals, and I understand why all of them were cast, but there is no group cohesiveness. Last year's ones were a lot more random, but they kind of meshed together as a group and it worked, whereas I don't think this group really meshed that well. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. They didn't, uh, they didn't really play off of each other too much. The closest we got were Honey and Sweetie, aka Nikki and Rick Paul. Yeah, like they were identified as the only pair in the whole cast, and that pair was broken up quite early on. And on that topic, I will say, it is wonderful to see that they are still best friends. Those two were inseparable at the reunion, even when they were, like, signing stuff. I don't think I saw those two apart for more than about a minute. Did they have their own joint signature on the autographs? No, but Nikki was doing a lot of autographs, and I I was very close. Her and CNM were the ones that I was closest to getting to sign my mobile book. She was doing a lot of autographs and selfies, more so than anyone else. Hmm. The other criticism for the season, I would say, is the location. Columbia just appeared to be a bit of a backup. Yeah, well, you should tweet Rick, or we should really ask Sinan if he knows what the original location was supposed to be, because, yeah, even in the finale, like, that dance party could have been anywhere. Um, Poles in the water could have been anywhere. There was no direct cultural tie-in this whole season. Out of 26 challenges, I would say there is one that, was uniquely Columbia, and that was the Communist as well. Yeah. Even then, they they could have done that literally anywhere. Yeah, because it was just, just hang clothes on a clothesline. Yeah, it was find some sort of location where there's a lot of houses nearby where you can borrow clothes. With a lot of clotheslines on the adjacent to the houses too. Like, Communist Trez is the perfect area for that in uh, Medellin. Yeah. I'm interested to see what they do next year in terms of I don't think we're the only people saying this sort of stuff. In fact, I know we're not. I know that a lot of the people who watch it with subtitles are saying exactly the same things. But also I know that a lot of the Dutch speakers are saying the same things. That this season just... It felt a bit half-arsed, especially after last year. Last year was an amazing season, and it was never going to be as good as last year because there was a bit too much up in the air. But also, it was a bit of a struggle in places to come up with things to say. Which for a podcast is not the best in terms of like having overall notes like this is the thing too even the editing like with mural probably the most underedited mole we've ever had and i understand why now that we know she's the mole because a lot of her sabotages were quite blatant and they couldn't show anything to do with them but also you shouldn't be pushing your mole to do that sort of stuff and then under edit them because the whole point of the show is that both the players in the game and the audience have a reasonable chance of guessing who it is. And I'm not doing Michelle a disservice for saying that she was a bit lucky to get her in week one, because I think that was purely based on intuition rather than any concrete information. Yeah, for it not to be based on anything like specific uh, on screen, just like, eh, gut feeling that it's Meryl. And I don't think anyone really picked up on anything to do with Meryl until really quite late in the season, both on the show and watching it, which isn't a good thing. Yeah, when, I mean, it was like what Jules was saying to us uh, during the interview that they want the mole to be unmasked. In this case, it was very tough to unmask the mole for everybody, which sort of minimizes the fun towards the end, because 
a lot of sabotage is you absolutely couldn't show without pretty much having a banner saying mural is the bull. Like what do they even say about her sabotages at the end with Rick? Like he said, Oh, you were friends with Jamie, I think was one of them. Yeah. It was interesting that it's the first time in a long while where the Netherlands have got it really wrong because as Ron was saying, when he was weirdly playing along with the, um, the live app, I think it was 41% Sarah and 34% Meryl, 27% Niels, I think it was. It's rare for the majority of the country to get it wrong, especially this late into a show. So for her to stay under the radar that much, it just means that she was under-edited and maybe wasn't as subtle as a mole could be. I can reconcile it a lot more because we now know why she was under-edited. It doesn't sit as well with me knowing that it was deliberate that she was under-edited because they were just trying to hide that she was the mole. Right. Like, like none of the sabot- not too many of the sabotages were, oh, um, you know, this. they were doing the puzzle and she was trying to distract everybody. Like, there wasn't really too many of those. Well, one with, the, one with doing the group trivia where she threw out uh, fake numbers. And then what's the other sabotage that they could actually show? Um... The uh, 30 minutes versus 45 for the pipe game. Yeah, and oh yeah, the balcony. The balcony too. They could have probably just heard just voting to not do the books and never going to the right spot. But there wasn't a lot of her that they could have really shown. And it doesn't sit 100% well with me in that respect. Oh, did they ever go over why she gave the exemption to Niels at Final Four? Nope. We don't know why she gave the exemption to Niels. We don't know what happened with the pole in the grass and whether that was Meryl or not. There's a lot that we just don't know about. Did they go over who suspected who throughout the season? No. I know they touched upon it with a couple people. That's weird because they always do that with both the Dutch version and Belgian version. They go over it very specifically. The reunion was weirdly paced, honestly. Because it was a different structure to last year in that we didn't have as much audience interaction in Vondelpart, which was kind of a bit disappointing for me. But also, we didn't find out who suspected who. We didn't find out whether the Yokers should have been opened, which was an annoyance for me because I really wanted to find out. We didn't find out a lot. And I'm I'm wondering whether production are a bit disappointed in this season. They can't with the ratings. Well, not with the ratings, because this week was an absolute juggernaut. 49.9% of people... Three and a half million people watched live, and that excludes all the people in Vondelpart, which was at least a couple of thousand, if I'm being a bit harsh with them, probably more than that, and then all the people in the cinemas around the country as well. Which would easily push it to like 51%. Yeah. But just to prove that this is this much of a juggernaut, I am actually sat next to a newspaper, which I took from the train to Schiffel yesterday. Because on the front of this newspaper that is given out free in the Netherlands, it says just three words, Meryl de Mol. That's front page? This is front page news in the Netherlands. Inside there is also a picture of the cast with the entire group. Sadly, you can't see me on it because Sinan's covering me up. One final Sinan sabotage. (laughs) Oh, you should totally post that picture from the newspaper and, like, circle where you would be and then put hashtag scene and sabotage. I will do that for you tomorrow. But yeah, this is an absolute juggernaut of a show. 
And I don't think they earned that title this season. Yeah, that's weird that they just didn't give any information in the reunion show, because that's the whole point of the reunion show in the mall. Like, you don't really need a reunion for Survivor or Amazing Race, but with the mall, you absolutely do need it, because it's all, so much of it is a mystery. It should be what you should have spotted, all the hidden clues, any important information for the rest of the season. Like, I don't really need to hear the backstories of everyone who lost. I need to know who they suspected, whether they realised when they were watching at home, whether the Yoka twist actually would have saved any of them. What's the point of doing the Yoka twist if you're not actually going to follow up on the Yoka twist? Yeah, like they didn't... Um, like with Evelyn's stolen Yoker too, they didn't say whether or not she would have been saved if she had that extra point. No. It just feels a little redundant. And I've feel quite bad criticising it this much, but they need to hear it. And I know that we're not the only people saying this now. Yeah, because really with, with the with the reunion show episode, you only really need to watch, like, what, ten minutes of it just to see the sabotages? Because none of it was really relevant or added to the narrative of the whole season. No, it was a ton of filler. And as I've said before, and I'll say again, a bad season of The Mole is still better than 99% of other things on TV. But when you're going into the record 20th season next year, and something that they are obviously quite hyped for and making a landmark, because bear in mind when they did their 10th season, they flew out the previous two hosts for one challenge to Japan, purely to make it a landmark season. They're obviously planning something big for next season, and I don't want them going into it thinking that they can rest on their laurels and do what they've done this season and under-edit their mole, half arse the location, half arse the challenges, put in a twist that actually isn't really a twist at all and, let's be honest, got buried after a few episodes. And then just half arse the reunion because, as much as I loved being there, it didn't feel like it was a worthwhile experience in some ways. I wouldn't change it for the world and I had an absolute blast being there and being part of thousands and thousands of people enjoying the show live, but it's tough to sell when actually the reunion didn't give us much. I think we touched upon this with Amazing Race Canada, but it's the downside of having huge ratings because you don't have that fire to try and make it any better. If you already have that massive audience that you know is never going to go away, next thing you know, Amazing Race Canada cuts back on the budget more and more, and they only do one episode or two episodes out of 11 outside of Canada, and reuse a bunch of locations and cast really dull teams knowing the audience is still going to watch. And then there's that certain like counterculture crowd within the audience that are going to say, oh, anyone who complains about this, you're not a true fan. This is actually really good stuff and be get super defensive about it. A high rating sometimes remove the impetus and I have a lot more faith in these producers than I do in the Amazing Race Canada producers. But it's a struggle to talk about a season like this without maybe picking at it, and by picking at it, we're kind of pulling it apart more than I like to. I think really it's just this reunion and using Columbia as uh, as the backup location and uh, really under-editing Meryl the whole season. Like, you don't really know she's even there until, what, when you get down to Final Four? Yeah, and also you lose... This isn't something that they can really influence, but you lose your stars. Evie was almost Neil's level excited to be there. She was so happy to be around everyone and just looked so pleased. 
that it was kind of sad that she was the first to go. And she wanted to be the first to go. Yeah, she wanted to be the first to go, but she just looked so genuinely privileged to be there that it was kind of infectious. And then you have Nikki going, which obviously is a massive disappointment, given her her generally and then her and Rick Paul together. And then you just start kind of losing a lot of the bigger characters of the season, and you then lose Sinan at the end, and then you're left with Sarah, who is lovely, but was never really that suspicious to me. You have Meryl, who we haven't seen anything of, and then you have Niels, who, when you see him for a second in real life, you know for a fact that he's not the mole. So it's kind of a weird season. It's a weird final three. Yeah. Um, so, now the the most important bit of maybe the entire episode, what do you think we're going to get for season 20? Oh, they got to do something. So that narrows it down. <laughs> Could it be old moles? Are we going to see old moles? I think we might. Because A, there were a lot of them there, and some of them were really quite rando choices. Like, Anna Maria from Iceland, Spain was there. Thomas from the America season was there. The Portland season. And Susan Visser, who's the only mole I've ever picked from week one. She was there as well. She... There's a, a wonderful bit where her and Thomas turned up together and she was working the entire green carpet doing selfies with literally everyone who wanted her to. He actually had to physically drag her up the stairs <laughs> to get her away from taking photos because he was just stood there like a lemon. He'd done all his photos that he wanted to do. <laughs> it was it was quite amusing. But yeah, there were a lot of old moles there. I think Class was there as well, who, yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, you had a lot of quite rando contestants as well. So I certainly wouldn't be surprised. But leaning into that theory is the fact that the main series producer of Vidim, like in October, put a picture on Instagram of two mole books for season 20, both with two X's on them. As in 20 in Roman numerals. Right. But also, I think that that might potentially mean X-moles, X-contestants. Oh, that would make sense. Ten moles versus ten new contestants? Not even that, like half and half. Maybe five-five. With someone being picked in the mole. Or do like five moles and then five winners? Yeah, something like that. I think potentially we could see a vid of mole stars of some description. It only took 20 years. Survivor Survivor only took four years. (laughs) Most shows only do like... I think Big Brother USA waited a full seven. Amazing Race waited just 11. But the mole? 20 years. Two decades. I wouldn't be opposed to it, as long as they cast it well. See, the the thing that gives it a little bit more credence is the fact that I think they're a bit disappointed at the group not gelling very much this year. Whereas if they have 10 people who potentially know each other from their previous seasons anyway, but also potentially go in the same circles at reunions and stuff and already have a bit of a bit of a relationship with each other, that group's probably going to gel a bit better. Mm-hmm. That's the main argument I can see for a Vidim All-Stars of some description. Yeah, it'd have to be people that could really play off of each other really well, and know how to try and manipulate the others with sabotaging. And also it then asks the question, are you always suspicious if you're an old mole? And would they pick another old mole, or whether they would pick a contestant who's never done it before? Would the moles know to how to pick up on the tells would be really interesting. 
Exactly. It asks a lot of questions. How closely observant would a mole be? Mm. And it also raises questions like, can a mole actually pass for a player? And can a mole act as a player now? Or are they so addicted to sabotaging so much that we're going to end up with the lowest pot ever next year? Going to end up with like 5,000 euros by the end of the game. I think it would be interesting to see where they're going to go as well. Because I could easily see them going back to the first ever location they've been to, which is Australia, for example. Or I could see them picking a really random place. Because we've not got into Belgium all yet, because Logan's not seen it. But they're going to Vietnam. Vietnam has never been a mole location before. But it makes sense as a mole location. There's certain countries where you look at them and go, actually, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of espionage in Vietnam. Well, not just that. It's It's got what Gilles was talking about to us last year in terms of different locations that they can then fly them between and add different backdrops to things. And a lot of those sort of questions. Because you have like the Saigon River there, or maybe Mekong Delta. You can go into the mountains a bit with the you know, that we've seen on The Amazing Race before. You have stuff like Halong Bay, you have Hanoi, you have the Da Nang uh, area. So more than enough locations to last uh, eight rounds of play. But I'm interested to see where they're going to go. Because I don't think this season was very well received by the fans, but it was also very well watched. And is by far the most watched season. And in fact, the, the reunion is the most watched episode ever of Mole after 19 years. What about the most watched episode ever on Dutch television? I'm not sure about that, and I certainly don't know where to find the records for that, but it is apparently by far the most watched watched episode of them all. And one final little thing that I've remembered from the reunion, because I know that this will bring such joy to your heart, but going back to the signings again, Sinan was doing signings, and someone quite loudly shouted out, Sinan, what hat you doing? After he got the piss ripped out of him so much, including when he was in Syria, can I point out, someone actually asked him, what are you doing? And what did Sinan reply? Sinan replied, neats. (laughs) Sinan is doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) He's doing nothing in Syria. And if that doesn't sum up Sinan, I don't know what would. So, with the mole returning underground, so was we, but not for long. We will be back tomorrow for our first Belgian mole recap of the year, as we count down the weeks until we reunite with best friend of the podcast, Jules de Costa. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, our own Twitter pages, MJ Armstrong for me, and Logs for Quacky for Logan. See you next time. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Bye. See ya. You listen to music, watch TV, and movies, right? Well, we know you do, because who doesn't? That's why we have awesome guests from hit shows every Friday, like Kate Siegel. Literally, I crawled through the desert of Los Angeles begging for work. Tom Goss. Can I make fun of that one more time? Because I just saw the most hilarious thing. Okay. And this is probably really inappropriate. Jake, Troy. Yeah, I I was very much like Miggy in high school and college, um, minus the baby. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I didn't have a baby that I know. Yeah, that I know. And so many more. Funny stories meet talented creators. All that and more on The The Martini Martini Lounge. Every Friday on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you can find podcasts. Don't miss out.